Hello and welcome to the ETOF21 Sports Podcast for July 11th. How is everyone doing? My name is Eric. I'm the man behind ETOF21 Sports. You can find my work on Twitter for everything at ETOF21 Sports. On Instagram for everything sports betting. If you want to become part of the sports betting team at ETOF21 Sports underscore. For fantasy football guys, I will be having my weekly rankings, waiver wire Wednesday, Wednesday winners, that's going to be starting back up after I finish drafting this league. You can find that at etof21sports underscore fantasy. Also, my five things from yesterday are on that account. For free horse racing picks at etof21sports underscore horse underscore racing. How is everybody doing today? Wow. It has been a great weekend of sports. We had that insane UFC card last night. We were able to cash out our plus 889 parlay with Dustin Poirier finishing Conor McGregor. Great card overall for me and my team. Nice little bounce back. Unfortunately, we're on the short end of the stick of our free play with the Copa America, but we'll be back at it again with a free play for the Euro Cup. But back to UFC. UFC kind of has a little bit of an issue right now. Who are their three big main draws? A, Conor McGregor, who is 1-3 since 2016, who suffered a gruesome leg injury. And you look at the history of people that have broken a shin, ankle, or whatever, hasn't been good when they've come back. Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz, who I love, when was the last time he won a fight? I... The Conor McGregor fight in Australia, which was, what, years ago? So that's another issue. And Jorge Marvadev, who's, what, he's 0-2 in his last one, last fights. So that means, like, their three biggest draws aren't winning fights. So Dana is in desperate need of getting a star, a star power that can constantly win fights and do something because... This is going to be a slippery slope. If they're guys that are they are pushing, that are main eventing, are constantly losing, what's going to happen then? UFC is in a tricky situation, and Uncle Dana needs to find something out to get everything going in the right direction over there. Also, can someone please explain to me how that line was basically a pick last night? Guys... When was the last time Conor McGregor showed he could do anything? Really. He's just getting bets because of his name recognition. And that's a lot of times when you can take advantage of these UFC lines is being able to get a soft line. And that's what we did. I mean, like, we hit a three-teamer at plus 889. Are you kidding me? That is like money in the bank. And we will take that all day long because we got minus 115 on Dustin Poirier where he's got a huge advantage fighting for something. McGregor has his whiskey line. He already has had his big payday fight with Floyd Mayweather. And I said it when it happened. He was never going to win. I actually said he's never going to win another MMA fight after the boxing match, after that big payday, because why would he? Once you have that big payday and then in boxing and you go back to basically making chump change, even though it's not chump change in the UFC, why would you bust your ass for that? McGregor's days are done. As much as he doesn't want to see it and Dano doesn't want to see it because he's just cashed out, his fight days are done, which is, you know, sad and I feel for him. But I think the guy's a piece of shit. 
I mean, you saw how he acted, saying that Poirier's wife is sliding his DM. And that's the one thing he can do. He can run his mouth, and he can create a storyline and create people's interest in the fight. But in terms of being a fighter that's going to win, he ain't shit. And his time is motherfucking done in the UFC. And I will continue to fade his ass moving forward as long as he's fighting. And they were talking about him in a title shot before. What the fuck has he done to get a title shot besides being a draw that constantly loses? Honestly, his next fight should be against Diaz, do the trilogy, and then he should fucking retire. Because that's going to be it for him in terms of high fight on the card because he's not winning so how much more can he be in the main event like i said it's a slippery slope going forward for dana and the ufc and they got to kind of figure it out also something that is new if you're following at etoff 21 sports underscore fantasy is i was invited in the first ever kings of lions league the kings of lions league is it takes the sharpest fantasy football minds on Instagram and it's pitting them off against against each other. We have two divisions. We have an East Coast division and we have a West Coast division. It's a slow draft. We started last week, a week ago, and we're just kind of drafting as we go because all of us are over the country. All of us have crazy stuff going on in our lives and whatnot. And I have to say, guys, I had the first pick. I fucking hated the first pick. But I'm liking the way the roster is taking shape, how it's moving forward, and I'm putting myself in a great position. Yeah, do I have some a couple holes? Yeah, I have some couple holes, but I had a draft plan, and I'm following my draft plan to a T, and because of that, I like my roster, which brings me to the big announcement. We are going to have the Fantasy Football Guide again this year. Presale is effective right now. $8.99 presale. So that means if you order it now, it goes live August 1st, you get it for $8.99. After that, $12.99, guys. So you're going to be saving money in depth. We're going to have a running back grid, offensive coach breakdown, offensive line breakdown, rankings, and I'm going to provide you with a draft plan. So that way you go into the draft with a plan and not doing everything on the fly. And that's a big thing for fantasy players to understand. Like I said, my draft plan is great. The roster currently shapes out. I got McCaffrey, J.K. Dobbins, Allen Robinson, Deontay Johnson, Noah Fant, Mike Davis, OBJ, Fournette, Tyler Boyd, Marco Hardman, and Alexander Madison. And some people, Eric, why did you draft Alexander Madison? Well, it's important to understand builds of team, and I'll be covering that in my draft guide. Understanding handcuffs. Now, I had the first pick. I went with McCaffrey, obviously, and then a couple picks later, I think it was the third or fourth pick, someone took Dalvin Cook. Now, who's constantly been hurt the last couple of years? Dalvin Cook. Who has one of the best run game coordinators running systems, and in my eyes, the best offensive line coach in the game, the Minnesota Vikings. So if Cook goes down, Madison's value is dramatically increased, and he becomes a top seven running back. So I definitely want that guy on my roster in case Cook goes down. I can plug and play, plug him in, or if it happens before the trade deadline, 
his value of trading insanely goes up for the guy in the league that had Dalvin Cook. That's why it's important, like I said, to have a draft plan, to have an idea. Yeah, I need a quarterback, but there's plenty of options that I'm going to be able to get later in the rounds. Well, this round, yeah, I may draft a quarterback. I'm looking at a couple guys. I'm not going to say I'm here in case the guys in the league are listening. But I honestly love, 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 love the position in this league moving forward. Now, in terms of the NBA talk, obviously, I always have a little NBA talk. And I'm not going to have an NBA talk, just me. Sterling comes on later, Sterling from Silver Star Sports. And him and I are going to talk about the Atlanta Hawks, talk about the league a little bit. But we didn't talk about the NBA Finals because we recorded it earlier in the week. Man, the Bucks are up against it, dude. Like, they just need Middleton Holiday to have a good game. Giannis played godlike. The stuff he was able to do on the court was insane and just shows you how good he is. Now, when you think about Middleton and Holiday, they just weren't able to get it going. And even though those guys played bad, the Bucks were still in a fucking good position because they were able to cut to six a couple times and a bad shot. And the Suns would come down and hit a three. The Suns hit 11 threes, guys. I mean, are they going to be able to maintain that? I don't know. That's going to be fucking tough for the Suns to be able to maintain that. My members, who we are up over 30U on the NBA playoffs, a move has already been set, locked and loaded, diving into prayer props right now. Definitely be on something those, but I definitely like my position. And this is a must-win game for the Bucks. I'm definitely looking forward to that. And also, I will be recording on That's What G Said with Gino Bacala. Again, Gino, thank you for letting me come on every week. And we will be talking about the finals right after the game. But yeah, must-win game for the Bucks. Definitely going to have to improve the coverage. I think they just need to do everything they can to stop CB3 and understand that Booker is going to get his and make the other guys beat him. I think really think that's what they need to do. Lopez needs to take advantage of Aiken because on defensive end, that's definitely a matchup, and Middleton needs to get going. Those are the things definitely the Bucks need to do. Also, one quick, I went to Arlington yesterday. Great time. Fortunately, Arlington is shutting down, but the trip there opened up my eyes to a lot of things. And I was wearing my ETOF21 sports t-shirt to the two guys that came up, talked to me, said they're followers. Guys, that was fucking awesome. Great time. Had a couple drinks with them. Good guys. But in terms of Arlington closing, it's a sad day because it's right around the corner, a couple months in September. And that track is a lovely track. And I'm here walking around and how they're using it, it's totally awful. They're not maximizing anything. What they need to do is the home stretch grill. That thing should be taken out, and right there, that should be turned into a sports book, a live sports book on that wing of Arlington Park because sports spending is huge. So now you generate the money. You can have an OTB there as well because obviously you can do that because you're at a track. So now you get the horse betting people and the sports betting people all together in one. And let's face it, a lot of those people are going to be degenerates. They're not going to be in it to make money. They're just going to be betting. So that way, A, you'll be creating money. B, 
there is a lovely steakhouse restaurant OTB on the other side of the track where the stands are. You take that and you turn that into a casino and make it a bit, make it a one big ground. That's what you should be doing. And it makes zero sense to me how they don't do that. And then you can hold concerts there and constantly have people coming in to make bets at the sports book. And you can have a casino there. So you're constantly year-round just generating revenue. I mean, when I was there yesterday, Mr. D's, which is the sports bar at the end, they are charging 40 bucks per person, per table, you need four spots. What the fuck? $160 for a table. I walked by that place. That place was motherfucking bare. It was fucking embarrassing. So think about all the money they're just leaving on the table. It's like they're not even fucking trying. It was pathetic from Arlington. Now, in terms of the people there, oh my God. Honeys were dressed out. I mean, I saw this one lady in a white skirt. Oh, she may be my future ex-wife. I mean, that girl was a smoke show. Oh my God. She was she was a she was a gem. She was a motherfucking gem. But I'm gonna be really sad to see Arlington go. I really hope that some way, like someone comes in in the bottom of the ninth and can save the track. I really hope so because there's a lot of potential right there. And if the storage group that owns Gulfstream, if they had half a brain, that's what I would do if I were them. And I really think that they should do it, but God only knows if they will. But that's kind of like my rant about everything, guys. You know, we have a great show. Really looking forward to the guests we have today. Like I said, we have Sterling coming on. We're going to talk about the NBA Atlanta Hawks offseason. We have Brandon from Off the Post Boston Sports at Boston Boy 83 coming on. And we're going to talk about our NASCAR betting preview, as we always do. And also, guys, moving forward, we're going to be having more guests coming on. We're going to be talking about fantasy. Allie's going to be talk- coming on and talking about the new sports podcast she is doing. Her handle is Salt and Pretzels. I mean, we got a lot of stuff moving forward. Scotty Fantasy Football Wishlist is going to be coming on. We're going to be talking about fantasy football rankings. So really moving forward, exciting stuff happening on the show. So let's dive right into it. One of the big surprise teams of the NBA season was the Atlanta Hawks and how they finished the season, how they were two games away from the NBA Finals. And I invited Sterling from Silver Star Sports to come on, and we're going to talk about this interesting offseason the Hawks are entering. Uh, Sterling, how's it going, my man? Pretty good. Um, As we talked about off-camera, though, moving sucks because we're both going through that. And I see that I'm getting older because, like, today I got excited because I bought a vacuum. So definitely getting older there. You know what? The older you get, it's the smaller things in life, my friend. Now, people don't want to hear you and I complaining about the joys of moving. So let's dive into the Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks were 12-20 and on March 22nd. And now they came within two games of making it to the NBA Finals. It was madness. Uh, if you would have told me back then that they'd be in the finals, I would have thought you were great. Um, it looked like those off-season moves had backfired, but here they are. And it kind of speaks volumes to Nate McMillan. Um, I haven't been the biggest Nate McMillan guy, but I will give him props. Like He was able to get through to this team where Lloyd Pierce wasn't. 
So, I mean, they just announced, I think it was a four-year contract. It kind of shocked me how long it took them to announce this, that they were going to sign Nate McMillan. An interesting yeah, for pro- a long time, it looked like, where was, what was the holdup? Uh, I didn't understand. Because he clearly connected with everyone on that team, and they wanted to play for him. But does it make you think that maybe there's something going on beside be behind the scenes that we don't know about? There's got to be. And also, here's a crazy thought, and I heard this come up on the radio when I was driving a couple days ago. Do you think if the Hawks would have lost to the 76ers, because there was a lot of job openings back then, do you think one of those other teams would have swooped in, like a Boston or a uh, Dallas, you think one of those teams, or no, you want to go back to the Pacers, but maybe Portland would, would sign them back up? I mean, it's kind of crazy yeah. to think, like, why it took so long to um, for them to uh, to re-sign them. But, um, like I said, this is an interesting offseason. They have a very interesting dynamic of young players, and we're going to talk mainly about the players the first thing is Trey Young is coming up. He's eligible for the Supermax extension. It's pretty much a no-brainer that you're going to have to do that. Agree or disagree? Yeah, that's a done deal. I mean, and now with John Collins, I know we both kind of have different opinions of John Collins. And the w- one thing about John Collins is he's kind of in that wasteland of an NBA player. And I hate that's an awful term to use. But he's not a supermax player. You know, he's just that tier underneath it. And with him turning down the extension of $90 million, he's going to be a restricted free agent. And this free agent pool is kind of weak. So I think a lot of restricted free agents are going to get overpaid. So tell me your thought on John Collins. I like John Collins as a player. It's just for that price tag, I would have a hard time justifying it. He turned down the $90 million extension, as you just mentioned, and say he wants $100, $110 million. I don't think his value is worth that. And for a Hawks team that's going to have to make a lot of decisions in a short amount of time with their players, I think they got to talk to John and be like, hey, like, we can't pay you $25 million per year like you're wanting. Um, so I think they they have a tough decision uh, with him. And the thing, like, I always felt they needed, now don't get me wrong, I think Bogdanovich is great. I think Lou Williams, you know, is good in spurts, but isn't capable of what he was able to do back in the day. I kind of just feel they need, like, another wing player that can generate some offense. For as good as Brogdon is, I don't really think he's anywhere near Chris Middleton level. I really think like that's the piece they need. And when you look at this interesting mix of young players, DeAndre Hunter, uh, Cam Reddish, John Collins, Herter, they could put together an interesting trade proposal for someone like a Bradley Beal. What do you think about that? I think that's all up to Washington and what they want to do with Bradley Beal. Uh, I think for Washington, it makes sense to pull the plug because they're not anywhere close to contending. Um, so yeah, B would be a perfect target for them. 
Um, going back to John Collins for a second, the reason why I don't love him with this team is because they already have that lob friend, Capella. So that makes John Collins' skill set a little redundant. Um, he definitely showed some things on the defensive end during the playoffs, but it was inconsistent during the regular season. So I don't know if I could trust him to be a max-level player. And then they also have, and I'm not even going to pronounce this kid's name because I will completely butcher it, but the kid from USC who, he showed me something in the playoffs. He went toe-to-toe with Giannis a couple times. He could kind of slide in a little bit to that front court. What do you think of him? Uh, are you talking about Okungwu? Yeah. The yep. pick from last year? Exactly. I'm going to try to pronounce it. <laughs> um, I think he's got a lot of talent. Um He's raw at the moment, so I, I'm curious to see how they bring him along, you know, because he can be the long-term option or long-term replacement for Capella down the line. And it's kind of like the Hawks have, are getting punished because they've done such a phenomenal job of making draft picks. I mean, you look at it right now. DeAndre Hunter's salary comes off. He's signed through the 20, 22nd, 23rd. You look at Trey Young. Signed through next year. Obviously, they're gonna. He's gonna get the supermax extension. Cam Reddish. He's his contract comes up the same as DeAndre Hunter. Kevin Herter comes up the same time as Trey Young. That's another guy they can sign this offseason to an extension. But all those three guys play the same position, and it's kind of gonna create a long a log jam. Now, I know what I would do. What would you do with this three-headed monster they have? Ideally, you'd love to keep them all, but I just don't think that's going to be a realistic possibility. As we mentioned, the Hawks have done such a good job. Um, I really don't envy their GM's position right now because he's got a lot of decisions to make. So uh, Herter proved himself in the postseason. He fit perfectly next to Trey as that catch-and-shoot player. Uh, give you like 14. Um Hunter, I'm a big fan of his potential. Even though he's already 23, the he can be a elite defender in the league. Um, that mid-range shot is coming along nicely. And then Cam Reddish, I know you're not a big fan of him. I'm not a big fan of him with this team. I'm a big fan of his like potential. So I think another team would be interested in trading for him. So I think he's the piece to get rid of. He's the expandable piece. I agree completely. I have a, actually have a little blog piece on my website, ETOP21 Sports, and that's what I suggested. Everything I hear and read from the Hawks, they're comparing DeAndre Hunter to Kawhi Leonard, which I think is an insane stretch, but they're saying because of his defensive ability and because of his mid-range game, they could see him becoming that type of player. And I, I kind of need to pump the brakes on that because I really – I don't see that. I don't think he's going to be at that level of player. But I do think he could be in that next tier, if you will. Um, yeah, he can definitely be a light version. Uh, Kawhi Leonard's definitely a stretch. So. And then with Herter, the one thing about Herter is he can play defense, he can knock down the three, and he's not afraid to dribble drive to 15 feet and pull up. And a lot of the times with these floor stretchers, 3 and D players, if you will, they just catch and shoot right away. There's no drive at all to pull up for 15. And that's why I really like Herter. Um, Cam Reddish. Now, I don't know if I told you about this, but I had a buddy that worked. I think it was the ABCD camp. I was, And uh, Reddish came there. And his comment to me was this. Anytime it was skill development work, 
reddish cam was always hurt. But when it was time to scrimmage, he was always miraculously okay. The kid doesn't know how to work. And now you're hearing rumblings that the Hawks wish he worked harder. That kind of tells me, like, he just isn't a hard worker. and He's just getting by by his natural talent. He's never really going to reach that elite level. I didn't know that story offhand. I mean, um, I'm a big believer in his skill ability. Um, but yeah, if you don't have the work ethic to reach it, then it's not going to happen. I'd love to see Reddish get traded to like a Houston, a Detroit. Oh, like don't say Orlando. Detroit. Don't do my. Don't know if in need of a scare, uh, in need of a young scorer. So. Don't 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 you? I I mean I sw- I had to live through the Pistons trading for fucking Blake Griffin. I don't have to, and I had to like like Blake Griffin for those couple of years. I can't live through having to like Cam Reddish. That would kill me. That that would it's kill okay. me. Okay, y- y'all got Cade Cunningham. So I know. Don't, don't sleep on my Pistons, man. We'll talk about them at a later date. Don't sleep on my Pistons for next year. But I do think, in all serious though, you want to trade players when they have their highest. But like return on investment ROI, and I hate talking about pro athletes like that. But you want to trade them when, like, right coming off a good season, good year. Reddish did have a good game. You know, I'll give him credit. He did have a good game. What was it six three pointers over 20, 21 points in that game six loss? I really think he's young enough that there's going to be some trade buzz, and they'll be able to get a good piece if they throw it together. I really think that Ben Simmons would be interesting. And if I'm Philadelphia, I would listen for a piece where I get someone like a Cam Reddish back. Another name that I saw floated out there is DeMar DeRozan. So taking John Collins on a sign-in trade and packaging him with Cam Reddish and possibly like a first-round pick uh, to San Antonio who's going to go through that youth movement. Mm-hmm. I think that makes them a better team with DeMar DeRozan. I think that makes yeah. I think that's a great trade for both teams. I mean, I really think DeMar DeRozan would bring that veteran presence and he would be exactly what I was talking about earlier, a wing that could create and take a lot of the scoring burden off of Trey Young. And it would be very interesting for San Antonio. I mean, they get an explosive player in John Collins, Cam Reddish and a and a pick. I mean, I think for both teams, I think that would be a whale of a deal. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Now, let's talk about Trey Young, okay? I have never really been a big Trey Young guy. Back to his Oklahoma days, him coming in, pulling up for 35 feet, and I don't know, like, I still don't like him, but I respect him a little bit more. He's a little bit tougher than I thought he was, the way he handled that New York crowd. Um, what I still don't feel like you can win an NBA title with Trey Young being the one. What do you think about that? Mm, I'm not ready to say they can't win a title with Trey Young as the one. I just think the roster and his game needs to round out more for them to be serious contenders. And so that's why this next few years is going to be so interesting for this Hawks run office and this Hawks team. Um, Trey Young, I definitely gained a lot of respect for him these playoffs. Just seeing him embrace being the villain for that Knicks and that 
uh, Sixers series. Um, he came a long way and demonstrated like a lot of mental fortitude that I didn't realize he had. Yeah, he definitely you know improved his stock in my book. I definitely liked what I saw from him and definitely think that he is going in the right direction. But I, I don't know. Like when I watch him play. And I'll give props to Nate McMillan. I think I thought McMillan's defensive schemes and how he was able to hide him on defense were great. I mean, I'll give him all the props in the world. I think the, those are great. But I still think he's a little bit of a liability on the defensive end. And he no, needs no. to stop all the Steve Kerr shit. Nice, Steve Kerr. Excuse me, Stephen. Sorry, Stephen Curry shit. He's not Stephen Curry. When anytime you're, I was watching the game, and I'm a huge Bucks fan. You know, I have Bucks tickets for the finals. I have Bucks futures going. Anytime he'd come down and jack up a three-pointer, I was like, yes, thank you, from like 35 feet because that's what you want. You don't want him to get downhill to the rim. I think he needs to start playing like old-school Steve Nash more, getting inside the paint, looking to dish, do the floaters, get to the three-throw line, and then when people pull off, shoot the threes. But he, I feel that he tries to be Curry a little bit too much. Yeah, especially when he gets going, like he'll hit two floaters in a row and then you'll see him take a heat check from like near the logo. And that's exactly what the defense wants. Um, the Steph Curry comparisons are weird to me. Uh, the only thing that's really similar about them are they both light-skinned dudes who shoot threes. Exactly. Well. That's um, that's it. Like, Yeah, that's that's it. They, how they get their threes, they're completely different. Uh, Steph's mainly like coming around a bunch of screens and firing. Trey's like off the dribble. Yeah, so they're not really the same. Not at all. And that's one thing that always blew my mind. It's like, why are these comparisons happening when they're really not the same? Um, I think it was just lazy journalism from a lot of NBA media. And that's like part of the problem. Like, I just feel that like with the NBA, like people like get a little lazy. Everyone's hyping up Cam Reddish. Like you heard Reggie Miller in the broadcast. Like, Oh, Cam Reddish, Cam Reddish this, Cam Reddish that. I would much rather write Kevin Herter on the court than I want Cam Reddish in a in a critical situation. Um now we need to talk about Bogey a little bit. I he's a three option in my book. You know what I mean? Like he's a three in my book. What is he in your book? Really, I saw him more as a two. Okay. Because I don't think he, he's physical enough to deal with, like, a, other threes. No, no. I, I mean, like, in terms of... No, I'm not talking position. Excuse me. I'm talking, like... Oh, okay. Like, in terms of, like, a quote-unquote, like, big three to be, like, the oh, third yeah, guy of the three. Yeah, I see him more as a three. I've just never really believed in him to be, like, the second piece of, like, a serious contending team. And that's not really, like, a slight on him. There's no shame in being, like, a third option. Um, but yeah, I just see him more as a three. And then an, an interesting piece, which I think he's going to get some trade value because this guy is a, like a walking bucket. Um, Gallinari, you know, like he's just that 32 years old, you know, he wasn't even on the court to close games because of the depth of those Hawks roster because of that. They're gonna have to trade him because I'm looking at his salary right now, twenty million and then twenty one the next two. That would be a person I think they send in with uh, the young guys just to make 
the salaries match up if they were to trade for uh, for one of these stars like a Simmons, B.O., or like you said, Demarcus Rosen. Uh, what do you think about Gallinari? I was a little confused when I signed Gallinari, um, just because I felt like he's going to be expandable later on. Like uh, he'll help you get to the playoffs now, but if you want to reach that upper echelon, you're going to have to trade him because his contract is so massive for what he is at his age. That, like you said, you have to package him with one of those young guys because you're not going to be able to pay all those young guys and keep Gallo. Um, and that was still valuable in this league, as he showed in the playoffs. Yeah, he can, you know, stretch it, hit a three. I mean, he had some really critical critical runs for them. Um, and then you got Capella. I mean, I really wish that I could go back in time, give Andre Drummond video of Capella, and say, look, this is how you need to play in this league. Yeah, do that. That's, that's all you want to do. Capella... A lot, and I really feel like they wouldn't have beaten the 76ers or the Knicks if it weren't for Capella, as crazy as that sounds. But the the way the Bucks played, I really think that they need like a different, more versatile big to kind of balance it out. You know, like I really feel like the Bucks kind of exploited him because Lopez would like drift out to the three-point lane or same thing with Portis or when they put Lopez down low Lopez was able as crazy as it sounds to kind of abuse him a little bit um I think he's just too much of a liability on the defensive end and he's got 17 and 18 mil the next two seasons do you think they should shift off Capella and go to the kid double O like if he's able to fill that role then that makes Capella more expandable and Capella's um, always, is there a certain big you have in mind for them to target? I'm always been an, a Noel the guy. I think Noel's great. I think he can he can play out. He's quick enough to play out out on the wing. He can rebound. He can play underneath. Granted, he's a liability on the on the offensive end, but just with what he brings on the defensive end, I really feel like someone like that on this roster would really be beneficial. Um. Like someone like that's the first guy off the top of my head that I could, I could think of him, or even like a Bobby Portis. I think a Bobby Portis would be uh, would be great on this team. So just someone, you know what I mean? Like someone like that, like a, a bigger guy could play out on the wing. Portis obviously can knock down a J, but the, just just someone like that. What do you think about them adding some internal size? Because when Giannis went out, the Bucks were just going down low, and they were pounding the inside and controlling the paint. Yeah, I've always liked Capello, but not for his salary. And so they definitely need a big man that can step out and stretch and shoot that J. Um, but I don't know where it's going to come from. Um, I'm trying to think of some of their guys that they can target. I saw the option of Sabonis, like the Pacers trading. Obviously, that's like a completely different type of big man, but what do you think about that idea? I mean, I don't think Sabonis is going to move. And also, that was one of my blog pieces like a couple weeks ago. If I'm the Pacers, 
I'm making a hard push for for Dame and trying to team Dame with Sabonis because I really think that would be a, something formidable in the Eastern Conference. The trade package would be um, Brogdon, and I'm I'm forgetting who else at the top of my head. But it'd be Brogdon, a couple picks, and, oh Brogdon, a couple f- picks, and uh, Karis Levert for Damian Lillard. Okay. I mean, I, I just thought about that, but that'd be a heck of a duo. I mean, I really feel like that would be it. But I mean, like if they could get Sabonis, that's great. I really think Sabonis is kind of under, uh, you know, under the radar. I just pulled up the the free agents list going into uh, going into next year, and I mean, like Noel happens to be a free agent. I think he would be great. Uh, Holmes from Sacramento. I think he would be great. Um, even just nah, because Lopez is coming. Lopez's asking price is it going to be in the seven mil? A Daniel Theus, the guy that played for Boston, got traded to the Bulls. I think he would be. I think yeah. he would be a great fit. I think he would be a great fit for this Hawks team, and he would add some toughness to him. Because let's be honest, do you really fear Trey Young? You know what I mean. Like who on this team like is kind of. Tough, like with the Bucks, they need Portis, that glue guy yeah. that all the championship teams have. That element of toughness, yeah, they're definitely missing that. I mean, Portis came in and he's like, anytime Giannis gets knocked down, the very ne- he's over there and he's knocking the next guy like on his ass. Um, yeah, and I'm looking. I mean, just someone like like that, someone in that kind of like realm, I think would be uh, a great. A great pickup like a Noel or a, or a, or a Theus. Um, I'm all you know, actually, kind of would be good for them. Who I heard was actually the person that was holding everything together in Brooklyn this past year from a reliable source Jeff Green. It's funny how Jeff Green always finds his way on like a good team because right? it's just. It speaks volumes to who he is as a player, you know, and, um, and his locker room presence. That'd be invaluable for a young team like dogs. Well, I mean, think Even about if this. He doesn't play a whole lot. But I mean, think about this. I like from from somebody I know in the Nets organization. They flat out told me they said Jeff Green is the guy that holds us together, and he is kind of the leader of this group. Not. Because no one knows what Kyrie's doing. Harden is just kind of Harden. He's never really been a leader. And Durant is just kind of Durant. Really never been a, that much of a vocal leader. That Jeff Green is the guy in the locker room keeping everyone in check. And let's face it. He's won a title. Like, has he? I know he won one with Cleveland. Has he won two? So, and so he knows what it takes to be a champion. I think like you put a Jeff Green on this team. Someone that can lead and get this young these young guys like understanding the system. I think that would be good, and he can still go out and get buckets. He can stretch the floor. He can go down low. I mean, granted, he was a zero factor in the Buck series because he got hurt. But what do you think about uh, Jeff Gre- Jeff Green? I think they're trying to get that veteran leadership earlier on in the year from Rondo. Um, that didn't work out, so they definitely need that veteran leadership like the way i think of the hawks in a way is kind of like an aau team with all this talent but they need some direction uh 
some refining. And I think having that veteran locker room presence, like a Jeff Green or like a, if they had a PJ Tucker on their team, um, it would just make them a more legitimate contender for the future. Yeah, and it would bring, like, like you said, veteran leadership and toughness. Um, so, yeah, I'm just kind of looking over the free agent leaves, free agents for power forward and, uh, and, and center. And those are only the real ones that, uh, that jumped out. Actually, you know, who would be interesting on this team, but I, I kind of like his skill set. but there's no way like they'd be able to get him and keep everyone else is marketing from the bulls. Like, I really think like his ability to stretch, be a stretch four. I think that would make that, interesting and create a little bit more space for Trey Young, but there's no way they're going to be able to keep everybody and, re- and re-sign him. So that's just obviously obviously a pipe dream. Um, what about Carmelo's coming off the books? Do you, want, do you want to dare put Carmelo in that mix? I don't know if Carmelo is that guy for that specific role. Um, I think a more like a defensive-minded, defensive-oriented um, locker room guy, if that makes sense. Even though Jeff Green's calling isn't necessarily defense, but just a guy more along that line. So I don't know if Carmelo is that guy. but Yeah, like Carmelo's just kind of like, I don't know. Like I'll give him credit for, um, you know, lasting this long in, in the NBA, but like I really don't think he'll be – that um that long of a that leader that they need in the uh, in the locker room. Now you said you I wanted to see him as a mentorship type guy. Yeah, not, but not that he wouldn't do it, but I don't see it as his like. And I'll be honest. Calling. And I'll be honest, like he was married to fucking Lala. Like, a how the fuck do you fuck that up, dude? And for those that have listened, I'm you know I did slide in her DM. She hasn't responded yet. I'm sure she's like oh, patiently yeah. waiting for the right opportunity. But how do you fuck that up, dude? You were fucking married to Lala and you fucking cheated on her, dude. Come on, dude. Um, you mentioned you want to talk about uh, a what? I can't even pronounce his name. I'm gonna call him Double O. Um, <laughs> what? Tell me, like, long-term, A, what do you think his player ceiling is? Like, realistically, like, player A, you could see him being like that. Um, I mean, dang, you're putting me on the spot here. He definitely should be the long-term answer with the six overall pick last year. He has the potential to be that. Um, I kind of see him... He's supposed to be like this modern day big man. So a more skilled Miles Turner. Okay. Know? Okay. I could uh with, without without the shot blocking potential. I don't know. So uh, I'm thinking of like a big man who could step out and shoot the three, but also can rebound well. So like so a, maybe not Miles Turner's level like his high end, but you know. What about like a Sabonis? Do you think you reach that level? I Sorry, I didn't hear. Sabonis. Do you think you reached the Sabonis level, like an NBA All Star type level? It's definitely possible. Um, 
just with how I've seen, I can't really say that right now because Sabonis is such a skilled player, and uh, he's one of my favorite players to watch with his passing ability. But a Kongu, if they bring him along right, if he keeps developing like from what he showed, it's possible. And that's the thing, like the window in the NBA to win is so small. You know what I mean? Like it could be gone in a heartbeat. You know, and who knows? Like honestly, like. I was never a big 76ers guy. I think that window's shut on them. I think they got to re- like start moving pieces and everything. Um, so yep. this window that the Hawks have right now, it's it's closing faster than people think. And with how young they are, you can see like they're going to be the it team that people are going to be betting on for like futures and whatnot. And yeah, saying, that's like, the thing can... that people don't understand. Like. It's not as cut and dry as you don't copy and paste from year to year in any sports league, to be honest. So with the people who are thinking the Hawks are going to be in the conference finals for the next three to five years, like they very well could be, but they have to get a lot of things right this offseason. And it starts with like being aggressive and going out and searching for that star, um, retooling. And then getting obviously the right contracts in place for these guys. So. And I mean, you think about it. I mean, a at the top you got the Seventy Sixers. You know, you you like to think they'd still be a playoff team next year. They're still going to be there. You have the Bucks, and I don't. The Bucks have middle have the, the their big three locked up. They're going to be right in there in the mix um, as an Eastern Conference contender. You have the Nets. The Nets with as long as they have Durant. They're going to be in the mix. Um, people forget that the Indiana Pacers were the fourth seed until they got hit with the injury bug. And they have TJ Warren coming back, who was out pretty much all last year with an injury. So the Pacers are going to be back in that mix. And then you have the um, the Miami Heat, who were struck with COVID all year, basically, last year. They're going to be there in the mix. You have to assume Boston's going to take a step up with the coaching change and Tatum and Brown. You have to assume assume they're going to be going in the right direction. Um, so I mean, there's going to be teams also you have there. to consider like who knows like a team like say the Hornets could take that massive step up and be like similar to I mean, maybe not get to the conference finals but be that like Cinderella story that Hawks of next year. So they have to constantly improve or else. Yeah, it's an arms race in the NBA. Yeah, they have to constantly get better. And, like, every coach has, like, schemes and everything like this. And, like, honestly, like, you look at the Hawks, they people are going to notice Nate McMillan's schemes and everything a lot more. And, you know, you look at, like, who he played in the playoffs. Like, granted, I think Tibbs is great. I think he's an gr- underrated coach, very underappreciated. Minnesota was idiots for letting him walk. But he just didn't have enough firepower to get the Knicks over the hump. You have Doc Rivers, and I think Doc Rivers, I think that championship that he won in Boston was the biggest fluke in sports history. I mean, this guy has done nothing but blow series lead after series lead after series lead with his refusal to make adjustments. I think he's a hack. I think he's awful. Um, And then... You get to the Bucks, and people ridicule Bud, rightfully so, because of his adjustments. But as soon as Giannis went down, I mean, he made the adjustment of attacking the inside, and this Hawks team got completely exposed. And I really think that 
teams are going to look at what the Bucks did those last two games and just take advantage of it. That's why I really think they need to value interior defense and make some changes on that. So looking at next year, if you had to call it right now, who's the Eastern Conference Finals matchup next year? Oh, my God. Well, obviously, I think Kate Cunningham's going to come in. You have Killian Hayes <laughs> getting a year better. You know, Stewart getting a year better. I mean... Sh- well, we definitely need to talk about the Pistons because you all definitely have an exciting future. I mean, Bay is like the second coming of Reggie Miller. So, I mean, Jesus, dude. I mean, obviously, the Pistons are going to be right there. No. But in all seriousness, like, I really think that it's hard. Now, I'm assuming everyone's going to be healthy and everything. I will probably say that it's going to be the the Nets and Bucks, dude. Like I, that that would be my guess. Like, cause I'll be honest, I'm not Joel Embiid. Anyone that's listened to anything remotely that I've said on my my podcast or when I've gone on Gino's podcast knows that I I said from the get go. I said this 76ers team isn't going to win the championship because they don't have that wing player that can drive to the basket, pull up and hit a three, pull up and hit a mid-range, and when you run twos at them, like, hit the open guy. And that's the biggest thing missing for Philadelphia. And until they get someone like that, because Embiid can't do that, like, what you saw this year, I feel, is their ceiling. I really feel like that is what they're missing, what they need to do. And until they get that, I can't go with them. I'm not the biggest Jimmy Butler guy. And uh, I just don't think see anyone in the East like competing with those two, especially if the Nets get KD's healthy and Irving somewhat has his head tied on straight and Harden recovers from the hamstring. How about you? Who who would be your your two? I gotta go with Nets and Bucks as well. Um, I think some we gotta wait and see um, how this off season unfolds because something major always happens in the, in the NBA off season. Uh, so something's going to happen. But at the time, right now, it should be Nets and Bucks because I really don't see anyone competing. Uh, the Sixers got to make moves, but even then they still have Doc Rivers. And uh, Embiid's work health is always a question mark. So, yeah. Speaking of Embiid, let me get – let me. I, I hate to change subjects. Um, one of the things with me is I really feel if you're going to win an NBA award or at least be in the top three – you have to play games. And tell me if I'm off base here, but I think whoever voted for Embiid for MVP and Ball for Rookie of the Year should have their votes revolved. How can you possibly vote for someone for a season-long award and they miss 25% of the games? A quarter of the season. Go as far as the voting license, but... Yeah, I, I, I feel like you just don't want to give it to Jokic at that point if you just didn't vote for him. Exactly. And that brings me to this other thing. Like, I don't understand why people don't like Jokic. Jokic, for me, would be, like, the guy that you would want to play basketball with. He'll hit you when you're cutting. He won't force it. You know what I mean? He wants to make people around him better. But did you notice, like, during the MVP award... Like, LeBron gave it to Curry. Embiid said he was trying to win it. People were giving it to him. No one said. Like, literally, the only person I heard said he was the MVP was Dame, and that was because they were getting ready to play them in a conference series. Yeah, I don't really understand NBA media. 
Uh, you noticed it also with these finals. Like, everyone talks about how, like, they don't like seeing, like, the same two teams. They don't like saying, seeing the same people win MVPs. And then when it comes time for it to happen, so, like, Jokic wins MVP. We got Milwaukee and Phoenix in the finals. People are unhappy. So I don't understand why the NBA media is so weird about, like, this reluctance to, like, see change and see new things. It's really weird. I don't notice it about, like, any other sport, but NBA media is just... I don't get it either. Like, change is always good. You're you're making people, like, you know what I mean? Like, and ratings are up. And, like, that's another thing. Like, everyone's talking about, oh, my God, like, can you imagine how this is going to make CB3, how it's going to improve his legacy if he wins this MVP and everything? I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind, Okay. Giannis has two MVPs, correct? If he wins an NBA title, and he's down 1-0 when we're recording this, if he comes back and wins the NBA title, he is only going to be the 12th person in NBA history to do that. I mean, that's really... And he's only 26 years old. And he will have won his first title before LeBron, Steph, Jordan... Uh, Moses Malone, Wilt Chamberlain. You know what I mean? Like, if he, if somehow the Bucks win this, that's going to elevate him. And, like, why don't I hear anyone talking about that? Everyone just talks about... Giannis has become, went from, like, beloved by the media to all of a sudden, like, people don't like him. Uh, And I I don't really understand why. He has, like, such a likable story and... I don't know. He's an underdog, you know. Like why? I think why the media not doesn't him like him. I, I think the media doesn't like him because he decided that he was going to go to. You know, excuse me. He's going to stay in Milwaukee instead of signing with like one of those like super teams or like leaving and going to a bigger market. And I think that's why the loyalty factor. Yeah, yeah, I think some. I think some of the media just don't like that, and it really, it really blows my mind. And. Also, like, people forget this team was going to leave. Like, this team was going to leave the the Milwaukee area. They drafted Giannis. He developed. Because of him, they stayed in Milwaukee and they built this new stadium. They have the Deer District. As anyone can see watching the finals, like, it's a hop in place. That guy single-handedly kept the franchise in Milwaukee. And, like, these bars by the stadium, I mean, all those people right there, they have their job because of Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know what I mean? Like, when you think about it like that, like, how the flying hell can you possibly, like, hate this guy? It just doesn't, like, make sense to me at all. Um, Now, I, you know, we, we started recording this, like, talking about the Hawks. We've drifted onto a million different subjects. Since I brought up the Bucks in the finals, um... What, what's your prediction for the finals? Who do you think is going to win, and who do you think is going to be the MVP? I said Suns and Six. Uh, that was my original prediction beforehand, and I'm sticking to that. Um, I just think the Suns have the coaching advantage. I think that goes a long way for two evenly matched teams. Um, also, Giannis's health might be a question. 
he looked fine in game one, but still lingering injury, you know. Yeah, um, like I watched the Suns team. They just feel like the team of destiny this year, and at least in my opinion, watching their run, how everything has lined up for them, for one way or another, I have a hard time seeing them losing the series. I mean, I would love to see my Bucks win. I said Bucks in seven before the series. I think it's going to be a long series, and there was like definitely some stuff. Like, I don't understand. Like, now, granted, like I'm not Coach Bud, but I don't understand how you don't have Holiday on CP3 for pretty much the whole game. And I'm going to tell you, like, if I, like, again, I'm not Coach Bud, but this is what I would do if I was Coach Bud. Now hear me out with his defensive strategy, okay? I would have Holiday fight his way, first of all, guard CP3, I would tell him, look, you're going to fight over every pick. We're not switching at all Lopez onto CP3 because they're just getting eaten alive, But even though they switch all the time. I would have P.J. Tucker on Booker, and I'm like, dude, just give him hell. Be physical with him. But I'd have the mindset he's going to get 28 to 32 points, and I'd be fine with that because that's what he's going to do anyway. You know what I mean? I would be totally fine having him do that. But then I would put Giannis on Crowder. And the reason why is because Crowder's just a catch-and-shoot guy. He's been shooting awful threes lately. And I would have Giannis double off of Crowder to CP3 and Booker and force Crowder to just be like, hey, if we lose because Crowder's making a three-pointer, we're just going to fucking lose on that. You know what I mean? Like, But I wouldn't lose because I'm getting in pick-and-rolls and having – Brooke Lopez on uh, CP3. What's so funny is, like, if you watch the game of basketball, you should be able to tell that that's how you should defend against the Suns. But, like, Bud does does not, like, make adjustments like that for some reason. And it's just, like, frustrating to see. Because that's definitely how I would play it, too. Like, that's what I thought which was going to happen. That's how I think that's the best plan of attack. If Jay Crowder wins finals MVP like that. Oh, you live with that. Like, congratulations. I'll shake your hand, Phoenix. But I don't know. Instead, just let Brooke Lopez get torched and drop coverage. Yeah. I don't just, know. I don't know what the plan is. There. It just doesn't, it, it, like, it just doesn't make sense to me how you can, how you can do that. And also another thing with Lopez is, it's like, you need to utilize him, but you need to be smart how you utilize him. Like, people forget he was an all-star way back when, and he's pimped a lot of guys. And he can beat you from three feet in and from the three-point line. I think they need to make Aiken work a little bit more on the defensive end, but be like, you know what I mean? Like, go to him early in the shot clock, late in the shot clock, mid-shot clock. Just, Just make him work. And then, lastly, I think you need to slow it down. Like, Clippers had tremendous success when they slowed it down, and they could have easily... Clippers could have easily won that series, people forget. I really think you need to slow yeah, up. With a healthy Kawhi. I, I really need to think yeah. you need to uh, slow him down. But uh, Sterling, man, you know, we talked about a lot of stuff, dude. We talked about the Bucks, the Pistons, you know, the Hawks, man. This uh, turned out to a Hawks thing and kind of morphed in. Uh, thanks, uh, you know, thanks for coming on, my man. I appreciate it. Um, you know, we, we talked off air. We're gonna do the same thing as we did last year with the uh, with the NFL stuff. 
going through uh, divisions, kind of giving some predictions. Probably uh, toward uh, toward the end of the month, beginning of August, I would guess. And so, guys, look be on the lookout for that. Sterling, why don't you tell uh, everyone where they can uh, they can find you? Uh, all right. So find me on Instagram at Silver Star Sports. That's going to be Silver Star and then underscore and then Sports. Um, I haven't been too frequent posting on there, but life's just been kind of busy recently. I've been moving, but should be done with that soon. And as NFL season gets going, NBA off season, I'll be posting more. Uh, looking to start my own podcast soon. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. And um, obviously I'll be on more here. So. All right, man, we look forward to uh, definitely having you on. And hey, dude, you know what? If you ever need me to come on your podcast, I am more than happy to come on. Just let me know, my man. Oh, definitely. You're my first guest for sure. Um. Oh, yeah. And one uh, one quick NFL question. I will put you on the spot. A simple yes or no. Is Aaron Rodgers under center for the Packers? <laughs> yes, but how he answered at the match makes me question it. You know, did you see that? I saw it, and I will be utterly honest with you. <laughs> I do you remember the Le'Veon Bell situation a couple years ago when he just was yes. flat out telling people, "Hey, I'm not doing this. This isn't me." That's what this reminds me of. So, I really think that uh, he's not going to play unless he gets traded. But uh, Sterling, thanks for coming on, my man. We're definitely looking forward to incorporating you more in the. Um, NFL talk once NFL season starts and uh you know you have a good uh good rest of your summer and enjoy uh July my friend thank you man I appreciate you having me again wow that turned into some talk with Sterling didn't it guys we started out talking about the Hawks and then it just kind of morphed guys Sterling and I started talking over a year ago one of the most knowledgeable guys on any social media platform he's got a wealth of knowledge a great person if you ask him a question, he'll shoot your shit straight. Make sure you guys are giving Sterling over there at Silver Star Sports a follow. So now we're going to shift our attention to NASCAR. And, of course, coming on like he does every week, Brandon from Off the Post Boston Sports is coming on. Brandon, how you doing today, man? Doing good. How about yourself? You know, I got no complaints, man. It was a little social butterfly yesterday, so I have no complaints whatsoever. Um Last week, Road of America course up in Wisco, your boy Chase Elliott got it done. Did anything really stick out to you about that race last week? Yeah, it was more, I I didn't think Chase was going to have a shot coming from the back just because that track position is huge and it's hard to make up ground. And uh, some guys had an extra set of tires, some didn't. But uh, it seemed like Chase just took it one step at a time. And what made me not want to pick him is the fact that in practice, he even said, I can't figure this track out. And then even after qualifying, he's like, there's something that I'm not doing. And he didn't get a lap in qualifying because a yellow came out or a caution came out on the track. And he just couldn't get a lap in. So I'm like, yeah, starting all the way from the back, you get a couple of ringers up front, like A.J. Allmendinger. And uh, he's able to come through the field. So I was really impressed. And of course, being a fan, that was my boy. I was glad to see him get it. Yeah, that was a great run by him. And, I mean, I got a feel for for Austin Cedric. I know both of us had him and both of us like him, and we both kind of feel like now he's going to be the front runner to be in the two car. I mean, he was looking good until he had, he had that issue with the with the car. I really think the, the future is bright for uh, Cedric moving forward. 
that uh that completely completely killed my uh that completely killed my DraftKings because I'm pulling it up right now. Um, I had Elliot in first. I had Kyle in third. Uh, Kurt Busch in fourth. Then I had Cindric in thirty eight. Oh. Then I also had Suarez, who ended up thirty six because his transmission went on him. I mean, that's just and, bad uh, luck, man. That's just bad luck at the end a, of the day. It was bad. Same thing happened yesterday in DraftKings. And uh, Daniel Hemrick, who was one of the race, and uh, his own teammate Kyle thought it would be a great idea to punt him into the wall. And he finished 30th and got me negative two points. Well, that's the one thing about Kyle. <laughs> you know, he don't fucking care, dude. <laughs> Winning's winning, my man. No. And I actually kind of kind of respect that. Um so now this week we're at Atlanta Motor Speedway, and I was looking back. I'll be honest; I don't think I have won a bet at Atlanta Motor Speedway since Casey Kane like fifty-five years ago. Um, Correct. What uh, What do you think about this track? Um, I watched it yesterday, and uh, it's going to be race. But a lot of guys start on the low line to save as much tire as possible, and then they go to the high line uh, later in the run. They find some more speed. But it's going to come back down to tire wear and how many guys don't hit to save a set of tires at the end of the race. Um, it was really interesting yesterday. Some guys had brand new tires left. Some guys had tires they put on to where they only had 20 laps on them. Uh, so it's going to come down, I think, to who has that extra set of tires. Um, it is a Larson-style track. Um, loose, run the high line, go wherever you want to go. Um, that's why he is 100% a huge favorite for, for Vegas. But uh, I think once you guys start listening to what we have to say, you're, uh, you're going to steer a little bit away from putting any money on Larson. His run there back in March was insane. I mean, he led 269 of 325 laps, but yet he still lost to Blaney. I mean, he dominated yep. that track. But, I mean, if you want to lay Larson, I mean, that's you guys. You know, that's your choice. I would never bet someone that short of the price. It is just strictly the way I am and what, how I bet. Um, the first person that I'm going to select is Chase Elliott. He's currently trading at 10 to 1 on FanDuel. This is his home track. I think he's going to be able to carry the momentum he got from Road of America into this track, and he just seems to be peaking at the right time. So I am right. definitely, definitely on your boy this week. What? How do you feel about him? Yeah, I'm going to ride with him as well. You guys know, like I've talked multiple times, I'm not a big fan of betting with my heart. But uh, he is his own track. He's coming off of a win. He now has two wins on the season, so he's sitting, sitting good for the playoffs. And what a better way to kind of roll into uh, – Roll into the final few races of grabbing his third win, making it back to back, end up being in his home state. So I will be riding him. Uh, Bovada has him at seven fifty to one. So uh, you guys are gonna lock in. I try and lock in sooner rather than later because FanDuel's got him at ten, Bovada at seven fifty. Yeah, I mean those prices are constantly changing. That's why it's always important, guys, to have multiple books. The next guy. I I'm going to talk about who's still searching for his first win, but he has been running better, and it seems like every fucking week I'm giving him out 
is Kevin Harvick. He's currently at 12 to 1 over at FanDuel. I mean, he's pretty much the last couple of years dominated this track, and that's why I'm going to have him on my card. If you've been this dominant at a track historically for multiple years, you're a buy in my eyes, especially if I'm getting 12 to 1 when you need a victory. You absolutely grab a guy like Harvick. He's talked about it. I mean, heck, we're on our second season now doing this. You, you definitely grab any guy that is Harvick, Truex, Hamlin, Elliott, Bush, Larson. Anytime you grab any of those big names at 10 or higher to 1, you, you go ahead and grab them. To your point, uh, Harvick has been great at this track. He's been one of the few guys that's figured out how to just, they call it paint, painting the line by putting those left side tires right down on the line and not getting loose. So I expect to see him come up. We'll speak about it here in a minute. Um, he is definitely a great shot to have in DraftKings because he is starting 21st. So you're for FanDuel. Uh, your point position differential is going to be huge in a big name like that. Um, another guy that I like is Ryan Blaney. He won here last last March. Um, currently trading at 13 to one. Historically, he has won ran pretty good at this track. Average finish of 9.75. With one win, two top fives since February of 2018. How do you feel about uh, Blaney? He's on my list. Uh, I got him at 12 to one on Bovada. Um, he absolutely the, the man won. Won the last race here. He looked good, felt good. Car was good. Most likely they're going to be bringing that same car from last time. Um, next year will change because they're repaving the entire track, but. When you have a win in a car that has no damage at a track like this, that can pretty much stay the same no matter what time of year it is. I know temperatures make a difference in the track, but uh, Blaney will 100% be on my list. Now, another guy who just seems he can't get a goddamn fucking win, but he's always in position to get a win, Denny Hamlin. Hamlin's currently trading at 12-1 to 1 on FanDuel since 2018. He has an average finish of six here at this track. Three top fives, yet to get a win. For me, with how good he's been racing, if you look at his performance over the year, he is bound just to get a win just by, you know what I mean? Like, stuff has to eventually break break his way, and he's a good racer. At 12 to 1, I'm definitely going to take a swing at him. He is, and people are trying to put that with him having a new team, his mindset's not where it needs to be because he's the owner of a team. He shoots music videos with Post Malone, like all this stuff. But the fact that he's consistently running well every race and just not there at the end, you can't tell me it's, it's his head or he's not in it because you're not going to run an entire three, 400-lap race in the top five and then all of a sudden with five or ten to go, shift the bed solely because your mind's not right. Um he just, he just ran out of luck, and I don't even want to say talent because the man can drive. He's just, he hasn't been where he needs to be in the closing laps. But he is a great bet. Um, he is consistently good at this track, and he is also somebody that in DraftKings, um, you can get some fast times or some fast laps and get a top 10 out of And the last guy on my betting card is my favorite racer, Kurt Busch. I mean, he's... 35 to 1 on FanDuel. I'm going to be throwing half a unit on him. Like I said, he's won a race every year for the last 
well, I think seven years. And when you look at the guys um, that are in the race, him and Harvick are tied for the most active wins at this track. So he's had success at this track. Again, another guy that needs a win. He's battling for a playoff position. He's been riding better and better each week. You know, I really, I, I like Kurt this week to, to be in the top 10 at least. So I'll definitely take a shot at 35 to 1. Absolutely. Um, this track is one that, like I said, you're going to see these guys loose the entire race. The entire race. No questions asked. And Kurt's a wheel man. He loves being up on the seat. And he has not got his one win that he gets every year this year. Uh, he's sitting 25. Nope, I'm sorry. He's sitting 14 in points right now. 16 guys make the playoffs. Another strong finish will get him closer to locking himself in. Um, that's your that's your boy. My dark horse for the week is going to be Tyler Reddick. He's 15th in points. Um, he has just shown a lot of speed recently. Um, his confidence level has been really high. He's 55 to 1 on Bovada. I'm not sure what he is on FanDuel. But uh, 55 to 1, showing good speed and having to have a solid finish to make sure he gets into the playoffs. Um, that's my dark horse, Tyler it. It's always nice to back somebody when I feel they're racing for something. That's what I like to look for. He is currently, wow, he is 85 to 1 on FanDuel right now. So, I mean, I'll definitely throw a quarter of a unit on him just because of those high IRI, ROI odds. I will tell you this. One guy that I'm just going to sprinkle really tiny that has shown a lot of speed and confidence over the last couple weeks. He's 80 to 1 on Bovada. So I can only imagine what he is on FanDuel. But uh, Ross Chastain. Ross, he is at 85 to 1, too. Yes, Ross Chastain. That man is sitting 69 points in 18 out of a playoff spot. He has to have a good run, and he has been showing speed. So he's definitely worth, I'll, I'll, I'll add him to the card. I'll throw a quarter unit on him. You know, definitely worth it, those those high odds, you know. so And then again, like, when you look at my betting card, Elliot, Harvick, Hamlin, Blaney, Bush, that's all half of units. Chastain and Tyler Reddick, all quarter of units. So right there, I'm going to be at three units for the race, guys. So I'm not not breaking my bank. And if one of those guys win, I'm guaranteed a nice little profit. And that's what you're trying to do. It's all about making profit at the end. You see these guys that put out these big cards with all these racers, and then they'll have Larson, and they'll say, oh, six units on Larson. And then you add up what they bet on everybody else, and they lost money. That's what it's not about. You want to have positive ROI at the end of the day. One of my loyal followers, he's been part of my betting crew for, oh my gosh, for years it's seen. On Instagram, his handle is trying to get into shape. He messaged me early this morning and he asked if Brandon and I could build a DraftKings lineup. So Brandon and I built one on the spot before we recorded. My lineup is Amarillo, Hamlin, Harvick, Newman, Stenhouse, and Daniel Suarez. Brandon built two. His first lineup is Blaney, Harvick, McDonald, McDowell, 
Newman, Reddick, and Truex. His other lineup, which he really, really likes, which is hopefully wins him the big one, Byron, Chastain, Elliott, Hamerlin, LaJoy, and Suarez. And this was built on DraftKings, not FanDuel. I'm, I don't even know if FanDuel offers NASCAR because I hardly ever use use FanDuel. Um, your two lineups, what uh, what is it you like about it, my man? So the first one is my points differential with heavy hitters. So Blaney and Harvick, Blaney starting 15th, Harvick starting 21st. Then you have Tyler Reddick, who I think is going to be fast, starting 7th. And Truex starting 5th. Not big on Truex starting 5th, but I do think that this type of track that he is going to run a top 5 and hopefully be there at the end. Um, And I hate doing – this is the one thing I don't like about this one. Points differential is big with McDonald and McDonald, McDowell and Newman starting 25th and 29th. Um, but those guys are going to have to hopefully get a top 15 and be able to survive. Um, the other one, Byron starting 19th. He shows show speed all year. Chastain, what we just discussed, he has to have a good finish starting ninth. I'm looking to get laps led out of Elliott. Hamlin, I'm looking for him to finally be able to just pull through and either get his win or a top three. LaJoy, whenever you're betting LaJoy in DraftKings, you're hoping for one thing. Excuse my language, but you're you're hoping he doesn't completely fuck up. LaJoy either puts up really good numbers by not making a mistake, or he just bites you right in the ass because he makes his own mistake. And then you got Suarez, who's been consistently better at mile and a half, but uh, last week, transmission issues, as long as he doesn't have a mechanical malfunction, I see him getting you some of points differential. Yeah, both lineups have huge upside, and, you know, definitely, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna play all three guys, you know, and, you know, see see what happens, try to hit a home run, and, you know, if one of Brandon's lineups hit, you know, he's going to, him and his wifey will be getting, getting a nice steak dinner on my behalf. Um. And I'll, be t- I'll tell you guys this real quick. If you are going to do a lineup and you are going to do it on draft games, the best ROI for your money is the $15 entry. The reason I say that, the downside of it, let me pull this up, guys. The downside of it is you have a total of 23,529 people that can get into it. The upside, first place, 100000 Second place, 25000 And as we go down, 10000 5000 3000 2000 1500 and 8 and 10 or get 1000 a piece. I mean, even if you finish 70th, you're racking up 100 bucks after your $15 entry. So that is my own personal recommendation when it does come to a lineup and what actual, what actual, uh, I guess, I'm lost for words. Like, which one you would participate in, I guess. And that kind of comes to what I've been saying forever with DraftKings and FanDuel in regards to fantasy football. Well, the one thing I have found out, and I track winning prices in every contest in the during the NFL season, the higher the entry fee, the lower the money point. So meaning like for the $4 point, for $4 entry, hypothetically, you need to get, 
let's say 130 points to make money in the $15 entry that point will be like 115 so the higher the entry the lower it is to uh, to make money and at the end of the day boys and girls that is what it's all about Brandon I want to thank you for coming on today why don't you tell uh, everyone where they can find you on social media off the post Boston sports on Instagram uh, and Facebook anything iRacing related or NASCAR related my personal uh, Instagram Boston boy 83 um, we made it up to where, even though the Road to Pro Series is over for us, I've had a top five in my last 22 races, except two that I got wrecked out on. Uh, we're sitting second overall in iRacing points this season in the track series and uh, having a good time. So if you want to, jump on twitch.tv uh, slash BostonBoy83 and come, uh, come enjoy some racing with me. Sounds good. I'll definitely be checking it out. Brandon, you have a good day, and let's cash some tickets, my man. You too, bud. Good luck, everybody. Thank you for Brandon for coming on the show. Guys, that's it for the show. Thanks for tuning in. I, I appreciate the love. Appreciate the support. Funny thing happened, though. You know, I'm going to use this time. Shit talkers. Shit talkers crack me the fuck up. And shit talking never happens after a, a bad night. It always happens after a good night. Some clown, obviously a troll for someone else who's selling pics who probably fucking sucks on Instagram, posted, this is all it takes to be a sports better. Guys, I work hard. I dive into this shit. I mean, you guys would not believe the amount of effort I put into this shit and how much I work. And I'm not scamming anybody. Win or losing, I'm posting shit. So when that little pea brain talks shit, dude, come on, bro. I know you obviously are a troll account and when I clicked on it you're motherfucking private are you really that big of a fucking puss dude come on bro but that's it thanks for Brandon for coming on great guy at bostonboy83 personal account off the post boston sports make sure you guys are following him him and I talk we're gonna be starting to do more DraftKings stuff more live video stuff going into next year. So a lot of things happening. Guys, thanks for the love. Thanks for the support. Let's cash some tickets. Be safe. Be well. Let's drink some beers and make some money.